Hello, and welcome to another Church Mission Society podcast. We try and bring together stories from people across the globe who are involved in God's mission so that you can pray, learn, and participate in mission too. To discover more stories, visit churchmissionsociety.org. So Levi um, here, Deborah is my other half, and we have two children, uh, Nicholas and Olivia. And Nicholas is nine, Olivia is two, and Deborah is a hairdresser, and uh, that's her passion in, uh, in mission. That's what she uses as a mission tool, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. We work in Goiania. Um, Goiania is the capital of a state called Goiás, which is right in the center. It's like the central most... Uh, st- yeah, yeah. Um, uh, a state, state in, in, in Brazil, and it's about two and a half hours from the capital, Brasilia, the federal capital. And it's a great, uh, great city. Um, it was, in 2016, the 29th most dangerous city in the world. It's since improved a little bit uh, because of the high level of homicides. And that means that it was statistically more dangerous than Rio, for example, which is really interesting, isn't it? Um, it is the most unequal city in Latin America um, in 2015 and the 10th most unequal city in the world uh, in the same year. And that means gap between rich and poor and people who are um, uh, in destitution and just people who are pretty minted. So you go around Goiânia and you see a variety of uh, realities. But this is the city of Goiânia. This is also the uh, source of the view we have from our house, because we live on, on the edge to the north, and we can see all, pretty much all of that. And it's um, nearly 2 million people in the greater Goiânia area, and it's, um, yeah, it's busy. It's big and it's busy and it's uh, hot. Um, So, and it has um, a lot of um, really, really nice areas. This is um, Vaca Brava Park, which has got a lake and lots of luxury apartments all around it. And it it feels like it could be anywhere in Europe. uh, and then you go to the crackland where I work, uh, as we call Krakolandia, and it's a whole different uh, reality uh, there. And uh, forgive me, I don't, I don't normally go around taking pictures of the poverty I see when I'm working. I do take pictures of the actions we do and the ministry that we do, but I don't go around, oh, poor, poor person, can you stand there and I'll take a picture. So you will see very little of that uh, in my... Uh, in my presentation. But uh, as you can see, it's vast, isn't it? It's just massive. Um, uh, this is a, a sign of status. So if you live in a high-rise, it's, it's the opposite to here. High-rise is bad. Uh, but in Brazil, uh, high-rise, particularly if you live like on the entire floor by yourself, it's actually a status um, thing. And how did we start? Well... First of all, we, we felt that God was guiding us to go and reach out to um, homeless people affected by addiction. We knew that Goiânia had um, a crack uh, cocaine epidemic, 
with about 1% of the population being affected by, by, um, by the drug. And we knew that there was quite a lot of people uh, around the city, but we had no, no real numbers. Uh, the official figures were that there were 300 uh, street people in the whole of Guyana. But just in a quick walk, you would see that there were quite a lot of them. And you're like, oh, 300, really? You know, in quite a small space, there was 50. <laughs> and it's a massive city. So actually, the, the correct figure is in between 2,000 and 3,000 people in homelessness in a city. Um, and that is a huge number. In terms of um, beds for, for people uh, who need um, accommodation or you know, shelter, there, there are 240 beds only um, in the whole city. So you're like, okay, no, this is a, it's a big problem. But we were like, okay, how do we go about this? How do we start, you know, this journey? And uh, as we prayed, we felt, well, the, you know, God guiding us to make coffee and go and chat to people. And so we started going uh, in the mornings as people were waking up from their drug slumber. We would then arrive with a, you know, with a big hot coffee pot and we would then chat to them and sit down and develop those relationships. I remember one time, you know, trying to be quite light touch and not really sort of go over boundaries. Um, I took the coffee, had a really lovely chat to this guy and a group of others, and then was saying my goodbyes when he said, oh, where are you going? I said, well, we're going to give coffee to some more, more people. And he said, well, but are you not going to share the word of God with us? <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, the word of God. <laughs> that one. <laughs> yes, uh, uh, yes, I can share the word of God with you. And he said, yeah, we need hope. We need hope. And I was like, okay, yes, I do. Okay, let's share the word of God then. Shall we? Uh, and we, we worshiped together. And actually, we found something really surprising. That our work is, uh, the need there is not evangelistic. It's more mercy mm. ministries. As a, a lot of the, well, nearly all of the people that we meet have a faith mm. in Christ. Um, and sadly, and it's something that we'll talk about a little bit later, but quite a lot of them were in church leadership mm. and now find themselves ad addicted to crack. Mm. So there is a, a, a big questions to be asked there about the church and vice versa, and about them as well. Uh, but small beginnings, never despise small beginnings, uh, uh, a cup of coffee. And that evolved because my wife obviously is a, um, a hairdresser, uh, so, we, sorry, so we started not only taking coffee but taking the scissors as well, so that worked out all right. Uh, and then this vision came for this project called Igreja Sem Paredes. Uh, before we go, we were calling it for ourselves, no plan B, because we felt that God hadn't given us an option uh, to go elsewhere. It was, you know, that or nothing else. But we set up uh, Igreja Sem Paredes, uh, and that means church without walls. And it's church without walls for two reasons. One is because obviously we want to be church on the streets, and we don't have an expectation that people will... will um, go to our church or to your church and sit down as nice Christians, um, really. So we want to be church out there. But also, 
church without walls in the sense that we want to see the divisions between the Christian church being taken down. Uh, Goiania is a city that has had a few revivals, particularly in the 60s and in the 80s. And in, in the 80s in particular, was a boom of ch- uh, Christian denominations. So you have Sal da Terra, which is the salt of the earth church. It's huge in Brazil today, uh, present in most capitals. Uh, Fonte da Vida, the fountain of life that has congregations in London and Miami too. Huge church. Uh, you have Luz para os Povos. Luz para el Pueblos. It's, yeah, it's, it's now spread around South America, Latin America. Um, and you have Videira. Videira alone gathers in the multiple sites in Goiânia alone, about 80,000 people every Sunday morning. So some huge uh, things have happened in Goiânia, but they are all islands onto themselves. <laughs> they are not really interacting, and we would like to see that change. So that's why we, we call the Igreja Sem Paredes. And... Uh, so small beginnings and simple acts, starting just with a haircut. Deborah has the most impressive stomach you'll ever realize, you'll ever see, because she can deal with some really dirty heads, uh, and she feels that she should not wear gloves, uh, although that's the recommendation. She feels that that just puts a barrier. And she just goes for it. And I, I can tell you, sometimes I, I look at those heads and I go like, oh, honey, you're going to have to wash those hands very well before, before you touch my, you know, <laughs> my face, my children, you know. <laughs> but uh, simple acts, um, just by doing things that um, anyone can do, but that most of us won't do because there is a divide between us. Uh, so, touching someone's hair and head, uh, providing a haircut, people are in tears. It's so powerful. I don't know what it is. I, I think I'm going to write something about hair and Jesus. Because it's, it's so powerful. And actually, the Bible says a lot about hair and beard, actually. that It's quite relevant as well. But those guys, they, although they are in that situation of homelessness, they really want to feel good about themselves. And so it's, just, it's not just, you know, having a share. They want, you know, they want it blended. They want it, you know, they want it properly done. And, and for them, it's also about feeling better about themselves. You know, so they arrive dirty, without a shower, hungry, with the hair and beard all over the place. They have, um, by the time they leave, they've had a haircut. They've had a shower, they have a new set of clothes, they have deodorant and toothpaste and toothbrush to take away with them, and they've been seen by a doctor. Hey, it's amazing. And they, they, they leave, they arrive a little bit like um, distressed, you know, cattle, really, and they leave like human beings, just through very simple acts. The other simple act is um, a lady on our team now comes in with her toenail clippers, and you know, she just sits there and cuts the most disgusting toenails ever. And those guys are just, are just crying sometimes because they're like, no one has ever done this for me. Why? Why are you doing this? And this is where we talk about Jesus, really. We never do the traditional South American evangelism thing where you stand in, in the public square and preach. We do everything one-on-one. That's, that's been our approach. 
So this guy, this is one of the other volunteers. Deborah has enlisted a few uh, other hairdressers to come and help. So we've got about five hairdressers to help. Uh, but this guy, is, uh, he's killed about seven people. He's kidnapped. He's a drug dealer. And he's quite a dangerous guy. And he sort of looks it. Um, and every time he comes, he's in tears. In tears, he says, if you know who I am, you would not even get near me. And, and I said, said, come here, I'm going to give you a hug. I'm quite huggy, so I, I, gave, I gave him a hug. It had his haircut, we prayed for him. And you know what? Perhaps someone who needs to be arrested. But, but that's not our job. You know, we're there to love people. And so it's, it's good to, to, be, uh, uh, to be able to show him the love of God. And that is something I'm going to talk a little bit more about in, at the end. Now, this is Mariana. You can't really see her properly, but Mariana was, uh, a, she's a young dietitian, um, nutrition, nutritionist, who had a heart to engage with homeless people and with people in need in, the, in her city. She's born and bred in Guyana, but never had an avenue to do that in. And we arrived, and she heard about us arriving with that focus and came to chat to us. And now she's the vice chair of our charity, and she has also received a commendation from the local council for her work within our charity in International Women's Day just gone. So it's, it's the beginning of the work being recognized beyond the, 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 the walls of the church as well. An amazing, high-capacity lady, so young and yet so passionate for Jesus and his kingdom. This is uh, me mentoring in one of the rehab centers. As, part, as our work grows and we take people to rehabs, and we've taken over 25 people to rehab since January 2018, um, as we do that work, we develop relationships with rehabs. And we also found out that one of their biggest struggles is to get people hopeful about what is to come beyond rehabilitation. And so our work now is to mentor those men to finish well and to plan for when they leave as opposed to just despairing and then going back to the streets and going back to using drugs. So this is just the first step in what we believe God's calling us into next. But um, that, day, that day there I was talking about self-responsibility because one of the issues that addicts have is to always uh, ascribe guilt to some, somewhere outside of themselves as being responsible for their actions and we're just beginning to say actually no you're responsible yourself for everything that goes on in your life um, even though there may be people who abused you and took advantage of you, you you still can bring some change to some situations in your life and, um, the difficult thing for us for example this guy here um, he has a university degree this guy here can't even write his name. <laughs> so mentoring in that context is really quite difficult because we can't really um, know, you know how to divide the, the, the content um, without causing some discomfort sometimes to those who can't really follow it. So we are trying to improve how we do this as well. And this is how we are running <coughs> our drop-in centers now. Uh, we believe that instead of setting up a center, which will cost us a lot of money, and both to set up but also to run, 
we have many churches that are actually quite wealthy with, an, with amazing buildings within the city and we want to tap into that as a resource and so have more mobile drop-in centres across the city over the next few years. And this is the first one. So outside we set up the, the salon uh, and some chairs outside and there's a team that talks to people as they go by or approach them. Um, then people queue up uh, at the beginning of service to uh, sign up to the services that they want to, um, to, to go for. So we now offer um, medical, dental, legal and beauty therapy um, as well within the same morning. So people can come see a doctor, see a dentist, have legal advice, and have a haircut. Mm -hmm. uh, they can also uh, have a meal, which they, they, they do. We have a social bank that provides hygiene and clothes for people, hygiene, uh, personal hygiene items and clothes. So they can then have a shower, go to the services, eat, and then they, they can leave as new people. So sign up. Uh, and as we go, I'm going to introduce you to a few people. This here is Joseph, Josette. He is, uh, again, another guy who had a heart for homeless people and people at the margins of society, but had no way to actually get involved. He was looking for a new church. When he found out that we were in town, he then came to talk to me uh, and... Um, joined our church and is now one of the trustees in the charity as well so it's it's really amazing to see him such a young guy he's an engineer um, this is the inside bit of the of the church people just getting settled there at the beginning of service and everything we do is in the context of worship we don't do um, a big sort of stand-up session and tell oh, Jesus loves you you know blah 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 we don't do that what we do, we have worship going on and we have detached teams, uh, well, pairs, that go around and chat to people individually and pray for people. And then if people want to recommit or commit their lives to Jesus, that happens in their context. And if people want a referral to rehab, that's how we find out as well. So um, it's very light touch, really, which is unusual for the Brazilian way of doing things is very much up front and you know let's preach the gospel even if it hurts the other people <laughs> uh, this is Sarah Sarah is one of our volunteers she's responsible for all the clothes that we receive uh, as donations and lovely smile and always ready to pray for someone again someone who was there young person wanting to get involved didn't have an outlet we came along and she's now one of our trustees She's only 22. Okay, so what does the future hold for us? Um, this guy, I, I love him. He's such a, a, a friendly face. He's never told us his name, his real name. He goes by Michael Jackson. Um, and <laughs> I think he's got some mental health issues anyway. But, um, but you know, because he can be a little bit erratic. But such joy with him. And then he is like trying to do the moonwalk, you know, and Michael Jackson moves, obviously not successfully, but he is, he is really uh, great to be around. Um, this 
guy here, he's a local businessman, and he, again, wanted to do something locally. His wife is a lawyer, and they got involved with us, and she did all the legal um, advice for us to set up a charity, and they've been amazing, amazing people. And this here is Bruno. Bruno is my assistant. We get some money from a charity called Rope to pay for his salary. And uh, he is an amazing guy, does a lot of the stuff that uh, I can't do or I don't like doing. Uh, and he's a worship leader as well, and taller than me, so when I'm with him in, uh, walking in the crackland, I feel slightly more reassured. Um, yeah, so this are the, these are the two, you know, the umbrella organization, Igreja Sem Paredes, and uh, Benahua being the projects, the drop-ins that we want to roll out across churches in the coming um, years. So we're dreaming. This is uh, Christmas last year. We did a big Christmas on the street event. We fed 250 people. And uh, we had a lady who came, was heavily pregnant, who actually went into labor during that and had a baby. And then we, we were then faced with a challenge. Okay, this lady was in our event. She then went, goes on to have a baby. Social services gets involved because she's living on the streets, wants to take the baby away. So we then mobilize all our volunteers to get money to rent her a place for a month so she can have a, a, a residency, to, you know, a residence, a, a place of abode to then go uh, with her baby so the uh, social services won't take the baby away. And then we gave her all the infrastructure that she needed relating to the baby, clothes, nappies, pram, whatever, and then got her a ticket back to her hometown to stay with her mum afterwards. So you see, at these events, they ripple out. They, they, we start to get to know people, and then as we get to know them and they get to know us, we get involved in their lives. And, then, and what's amazing is that all these things that are happening are happening with local resources. Because as we had quite a Brazilian contingent here at the beginning, but I think it can be true in South America as a whole, that the church has this poverty mentality yeah. where... Don't they, Faith? Yes. Where they say all the time that they can't do something because it costs too much money. Or we can't afford this. Or situations like missionaries that are sent by a church to go to another nation, and then six months later the church just says we can't afford to keep you, and then they are completely abandoned in the mission field. That happens a lot. And so the, the Brazilian church needs to realize its resources. So, for example, the church where we run our events, is a church that has nine classrooms, an auditorium upstairs, obviously the worship area, an outside courtyard patio, patio has a, a fitted kitchen, six showers, an amazing infrastructure. Oh, we have nothing to offer. And so it shut. It was shut from, it opened on Wednesday evening for a service, Sunday morning for a service, and Sunday evening for a service, and that was it. Yeah. Never used, always empty. And we're like, this is wrong. This is wrong. And so we're approaching this church and other churches and saying, listen, God has given you resources. You may not have all of them, but your building is certainly one of them. And you need to, all you need to do, oh, no, we can't do that. We don't know where to begin. We'll say, well, we know what to do. We have the clothes. We have the hygiene kits. We have everything. You just need to unlock the door. And then they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> All right, then. 
And so this church is one of these examples. You can't actually see the church building. It's sort of here. There is this square there, uh, opposite. And we just said to them, we said, we just need a place. You have the prime location for uh, a, a Christmas meal. We will do everything. You just need to unlock and get some people to help us. And they were like, oh, okay. And everyone's like, yes, no, this is amazing. We need to do it again next year. The local uh, news, uh, eight, uh, you know, local um, TV news presenters came, interviewed us. So I was obviously hiding somewhere. But it's, it's so simple. And then suddenly all the food comes together and all the clothes come together and it's just like a bit of chaos. So we are dreaming with more churches. More churches to say, okay, we'll open our doors to the poor, we'll open our doors to the needs. And so uh, some churches may have a ministry to the homeless because that's their reality. Others have lots of single mums in their, in their vicinity or lots of people that are struggling with uh, misbehaving ch- children onto social behavior. You know, we just want churches to serve their community and we want to be part of that in some way. So, more churches and volunteers. We want to see, as I said, our prayer goal is seven more churches to open their doors over the next two years to, the, to this project on a monthly basis. And we also want to see more volunteers but also more professionals, particularly doctors, dentists, hairdressers, uh, lawyers, um, and anyone who can actually engage with people in any meaningful way. Uh, The big thing as well, and this is where we sort of are coming, um, not into land yet, but, you know, coming to sort of the the end part of this um, workshop, or the second half, is this. Um, the issue that we have is that people have no hope beyond rehabilitation because they may go through the program of rehabilitation but then they don't they still don't have family ties anymore they're still poor they have no skills some can't even write their names and then we we, we send them forth in this beautiful service into the world but they actually can't do anything Uh, and then they go back to the streets because that's where they can live and then they start using again so we've been reflecting on the book of Philemon Philemon uh, as you're familiar was uh, a guy who Paul had warned for Christ and Paul writes a letter to Philemon commending Onesimus who was a runaway slave who belonged to Philemon before committed some crime so he ended up in prison found Jesus through Paul And then Paul is writing a letter to say, could you take this man back and see him through? And some of the early church writers, is not in the Bible, but Onesimus, who is the runaway slave, features again as a bishop in the earliest formation of the church. And how do we get a runaway slave to bishop? And how do we get someone who has a, a criminal past and an addiction into being someone who is um, being relevant for the kingdom of God on this earth and also a father to his children or a mum to his children to her children or um, you know doing life well well for that to happen we need Philemon's and it's not easy to be a Philemon because it involves a lot of financial and personal cost. 
and we are really challenged by that, my wife and I. What does that mean? And so we are beginning to dream of a social enterprise, uh, a bottled water business to get people back into employment, but also to provide them ha a housing situation where they, we can walk with them, journey with them, disciple them, and see them through. Um, you know, with a six-month program. We don't know how it's going to look like, but this is the challenge over the next two years as well. And we want to raise local leadership. How do we do that? How do we make this work uh, ready to be handed over to um, truly... I know I'm Brazilian-born, but uh, to be honest, I'm, I'm too anglicized to, to really say I'm fully, like, you know, yay, Brazilian. But... Um, we need to raise local leadership um, to hand over this work to as soon as we can. Because that's the whole point of what we do, isn't it? So, passing it on. In the last two years, I changed in a way that I never expected. And, and I changed because two things, really. Two, two realizations. The first one, you know, after being through vicar school and uh, uh, curacy and a, a master's degree mission and and theology uh, you know during that and finishing all of that and you feel like oh no I, I, I can do this ministry thing you know I've been you know I'm sort of ready as much as one can be and then when we got there we felt challenged by God to be reminded that mission is really simple. It's not about, like, the theological stuff. or Obviously, theology is a way of living, really. You're always doing and reflecting, um, you know, theologically. But, as Christians, but um, mission is really simple. It's actually about coffee and scissors for us. It's actually about taking time to chat to someone in a way that we wouldn't have. And we make it so complicated because we want this light, lightning and bolt, you know, bolt and, uh, you know, yeah, bolts of lightning. And you want this experience where God emerges from a cloud of smoke and says, it's you. You are cold. You know, no, it's so simple. It's coffee and scissors. And... Uh, that for me was transformational because I felt like, how am I going to do this, uh, set up this charity, do all of these things? You know what? God has sent the people that were right to do each, each, each bit, but my job was basically just to sit down with a cup of coffee. <laughs> That's what I do the best. So if you need someone in your church, you know, to um, sit down and have coffee, <laughs> I can come. But mission is simple. It's so simple. And anyone, you know, uh, anyone can do that. Look, uh, having said that, the scissors bit leads a little bit of skill, you know, skills. <laughs> because I'm afraid I, I make up more than just hair if I had scissors in my hand. But I feel like, you know, we need to be reminded of the simplicity of what we did. And isn't that what Jesus did? Just walked and talked and ate and did life. It's so simple. Um, and the other thing that I learned is that grace is deep, deeper than I, I remembered. And um, 
one time I met a guy called Clayton, and I've written a blog, uh, so apologies if you've read this before. But Clayton was a guy who, about this tall, not very impressive in build, and we started talking, and people just very quickly open up on the streets. And he, he said, you know, I have real issues with anger. I said, oh, really? So how does it display itself? He said, well, I kill. I said, oh, don't worry, we're, we're friends. You don't mind me saying that? I said, yes, we're friends. We're really good friends. Uh, we've always been friends. Um, anyway, so he goes on to say that he kills and that he's got this issue with anger. I said, so how come you're in Goyani? And he says, well, I killed a guy in the neighboring state and I had to run away. I said, why did you kill him? I said, well, he stole my T-shirt. And I was like, you, I thought, you are a monster, a sociopath. Why am I talking to you? Um, and then he went on to tell me that, you know, that he's angry like that because he, he was beaten up by his mum all the time. And when he left home, he just couldn't um, accept anyone beating him up again. And I was like, okay, no, that sort of makes sense, but you're still a monster, I'm thinking. And then he said, but you know, Jesus loves me, doesn't he? I said, <laughs> I said yeah, well, he does, yeah, for sure. <laughs> and he said, yeah, and I know that one day God will help me and I'll stop being this person I am. Would you pray for me? And I can, tell you, I can tell you one thing. I didn't want to pray for Clayton at all. I felt better. I felt that he didn't deserve my prayer. And then as I, as I was feeling all of that, the Holy Spirit whispered in my ear and said, You know, Levi, the same grace that reaches him and the same amount is the grace that reaches you. And before me, you're the same. That is challenging because when you've been a good boy and you've done everything in, ch in, in this church journey to do everything right and God tells you that you're the same as a sociopath is a reminder of our, sta our, our status before God. And I was just reminded afresh of how radical this gospel is and why people have died across history for it. I said, I said, okay, well, I can pray for you. And laid my hands on his shoulder, and he was crying. And I was crying, but we were crying for different reasons and for the same. I wasn't crying because I saw God moving someone. I was crying because I rediscovered grace. I was crying because I knew that there was no ditch deep enough for Jesus not to grab me out of it. You know, I just felt... That I discovered my faith again in a way that I hadn't. And for the first time I understood that passage in Luke 23 that talks about the, the crucifixion. And when Jesus says, today you're going to be with me in paradise. To the man next to him on the cross. Because, you know, I read that with rose-tinted glasses. Oh, isn't it nice? Isn't it lovely? No, but that man deserved the cross. 
And there were people in the crowd that were really pleased to see a really evil man on that cross and families that had been affected by the stuff that he'd done. They were really pleased to see him there. And this man, who's also on the cross, who didn't deserve to be there, then tells him, today you're going to be with me in paradise. How would you feel? And the thing is, it's radical. It's radical, and I've rediscovered it. And, and, and I went home, and I was like, oh my goodness, this... It makes sense. And so I've rediscovered my faith through meeting an assassin or a killer, whatever. And I just feel that um, for us sometimes we can forget the radical nature of the gospel, particularly when we've been around the block for a few years. And I just want to encourage you to rethink about grace you know it reaches you as well amazing grace and you know it's so unfair it's so unfair but it's justice go figure so this is what we've been um, learning mission is simple grace is deep and really that's if I, if I stopped and retired now as a mission partner, I think I would be very happy and I'm excited mm. for the learning that is to come in the next years. Mm. Um, maybe something about hair. I don't know. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Church Mission Society. For more material, go to churchmissionsociety.org forward slash resources.